I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Welcome to Lurk, bringing you creepy, strange, and bone-chilling stories with your host, Jamie Jackson. Lurkers, welcome to this week's episode. I was traveling in Virginia last week, so please forgive me for not having a new episode available. I had intended on recording the topic for this week, for last week, and I just did not get to it in time. Um, I had to leave Wednesday evening, so I had to have everything finished and recorded before then, and it just didn't happen. So it was either give you a re-release of an old episode or I couldn't go to Virginia. Sorry, Virginia was more important. Speaking of Virginia, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We are going to finish out the Haunted Trail section of Virginia. For those who may be listening for the first time, The Haunted Trail series covers paranormal and creepy stories from along the Appalachian National Scenic Trail. The Appalachian National Scenic Trail, or Appalachian Trail, or simply just the AT, is a hiking trail that runs from Georgia to Maine on the east coast of the United States. It goes through 14 different states. Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. We've been working our way northward from Georgia with the stories, which is how most thru-hikers decide to travel the trail. Thru-hikers, for those who are new, are people who take the time to hike the entire length of the trail in one shot. Roughly takes about six months, give or take. Some people who are in better shape, they can breeze through it quicker than that. Some people not in good shape may take a little bit longer. Most of those people through hiking travel from Georgia to Maine. So far, we have covered Georgia, which was episode 57, North Carolina in episode 58, North Carolina and Tennessee in episode 66, Tennessee in episode 73, part one of Virginia was in episode 84, part two of Virginia was episode 95, and this will be part three of Virginia and the final section, so that next time we will be visiting West Virginia. You do not need to have listened to the other Haunted Trail episodes before listening to this one, They offer information about the trail itself if you're interested, so you might want to go back and listen from the beginning. Let's jump in. Virginia, as you may know if you've listened, has the most miles of the Appalachian Trail than any other states it snakes through. We are now hitting the area of the Shenandoah Valley and continuing north. Within the Shenandoah National Park is the Hughes River that flows into a valley called Nicholson Hollow. The area of Nicholson Hollow wasn't always as secluded as it is today. At one time, it housed a community of homesteaders who farmed the land. 
There were orchards, pastures, and some stills. You got you gotta have stills. Gotta love moonshine. One resident was George Corbin, who built a cabin along the Hughes River when he was just 21 years old. The cabin was two stories, with a single living room downstairs and a single upstairs room. George Corbin lived to have three wives. Not at the same time. His first wife died before the cabin was even built. His second wife died in February of 1924, just hours after giving birth. He eventually married again, I guess third time's the charm, and a kitchen and other additions were added to the cabin. Then in the 1930s, George and his family had to leave the cabin to make way for the National Park. Kind of miraculously, the cabin is still standing. It is currently maintained by the Potomac Appalachian Club and is available to rent. And the cabin is said to be haunted. Not surprising, since why else would I even bring it up here? The ghost in the house is said by some to be George Corbin's second wife, Bertie, who died after giving birth. She apparently died in the middle of winter. The doctor had gone to the closest road to the house, and George had gone to retrieve him, but by the time he and the doctor arrive, they found Bertie dead. Her ghost now apparently makes noises in the house whenever people are there staying in the cabin. One woman was staying in the cabin in the winter, and while she was laying in bed, she saw what looked like the shadow of a man leaning against the door jamb, and heard a voice say, I think we have company. Later that night, she was woken up by someone saying, Ma'am, and saw that the fire in the potbelly stove, which was the only source of heat in the 15-degree weather, was nearly out. And that is 15 degrees Fahrenheit, not Celsius. She added more wood and lay there and began hearing loud banging noises. Later that night, she woke to the sound of three to four people walking past the cabin at 2 a.m. Each time the fire went out that night, she woke up to someone saying, Ma'am. Perhaps the friendly George Corbin also haunts the cabin and looks after those who stay there. Needless to say, renting the cabin is on my bucket list. Also in the Shenandoah National Park, just off the Appalachian Trail, is the scene of a grisly murder. This one I remember as it happened in 1996 and was all over the news. In May of 1996, around the time of Memorial Day weekend, Julie Williams, 24, and Lolly Winans, 26, headed to the Shenandoah National Park for a five-day camping trip. They told their friends they would return home to Vermont May 27th. Julie was scheduled to begin a new job on June 2nd, and Lolly was to start working with the Children's Outdoor Program. Both women were highly experienced in the outdoors, and they were a couple, not just friends, in case you're wondering. So the two women and their golden retriever mix named Taj found a secluded campsite just a short walk from the highest point of Skyline Drive and about 30 yards off a rarely used horse trail along the Robinson River. When they didn't return home right on the 27th of May, no one was too concerned at first. But by May 31st, Julie's father grew more concerned and contacted the park authorities. The park rangers determined that the last known sighting of the women was on May 23rd. 
There were some park employees who thought they might have seen Julie and Lolly on May 30th, but that was never substantiated. And it wasn't them, and you're about to learn why. At 8.30 p.m. on June 1st, the bodies of Julie and Lolly were discovered at their campsite. The ranger said the campsite was nearly invisible from the nearest trail. Upon the discovery, it was determined that they had been dead for several days. Both women were bound with duct tape. Julie was kept alive longer and tortured and seemed to be the object of the attack, as her personal items still have not been found. Both women had their throats cut. They were stripped of their clothes and it appeared that their hands had been bound and unbound and then bound again. There was one man who was charged with the murders named Daryl Rice, who was from Columbia, Maryland, and aged 36. He was in prison for the attempted abduction of a different woman in the park in 1997. But the case against Rice was withdrawn by prosecutors for lack of evidence. A hair that was found at the scene did not match Rice. I believe he also had an alibi. Some people believe that serial killer Richard Ivanitz committed the crime as the hair found was similar in structure to his, but he committed suicide before anyone could gain any answers from him. An interesting thing to note is that the crime has been compared to the murder of another lesbian couple in Williamsburg, Virginia on the Colonial Parkway. These murders took place just 10 years before in 1986. Personally, I believe you need to take a long, hard look at some park rangers. And if you want some more information on the Colonial Parkway murders, there were four sets of couples killed, though not all are thought to be linked. Check out Mind Over Murder podcast. One of the hosts is the brother of one of the women who, were, who was killed. I think it's best to listen to those who have more information than for me to pass along info and maybe get it wrong. Definitely listen to the Mind Over Murder podcast episodes on the Colonial Parkway murders. The murders of Julie and Lolly remain unsolved, as do the Colonial Parkway murders, in case you're wondering. And that brings us to Front Royal, Virginia. Located only 4.6 miles from the Appalachian Trail, Front Royal is an official Appalachian Trail community. It is also the canoe capital of Virginia and the northern gateway to Shenandoah Valley and Shenandoah National Park. It's also only 76 miles from Washington, D.C. Located within Front Royal is the Prospect Hill Cemetery. And one area of the cemetery has a lot of history. During the Civil War, it afforded General Thomas Stonewall Jackson a good look at the town of Front Royal and the Union troops there as they prepared for the Battle of Front Royal on May 23, 1862. Then, in November 7, 1866, the Ladies' Association was chartered to collect the Confederate dead buried in sites throughout Warren County, Virginia. They were to rebury them in the circular lot in the cemetery. When they finished their task, 276 soldiers representing every state in the Confederacy were interred there. About 90 were identified and placed in separate graves with headstones. 186 unknown soldiers were buried in a common grave in the center of the circle. The area is known as the Soldiers' Circle. Each year on the anniversary of the battle, there is a memorial service held there. 
Inside the soldier's circle of the cemetery, there's a ghost seen kneeling and crying. It's the ghost of a soldier, and he looks so real that some people go up to him to offer to help, only to have him vanish before their eyes. Some believe that he's kneeling at his own grave and upset over his own death. Or perhaps he's found the grave of a loved one. A Confederate soldier on a white horse is also seen in the cemetery. Visitors often hear hoofbeats, then the rider and horse appear, and then seem to just jump into the air and vanish. And a third ghost is known to frequent the cemetery. A woman in 1880s period clothing has been seen walking the edge of the cemetery during the day and just after sundown in the dusky evening. She's crying and walking amongst the graves. If anyone approaches her and gets close, she points her finger at them and then vanishes. Another haunted area of Front Royal is Frederick Avenue. Frederick Avenue is a one-way street off East 6th Street and Rudolph Avenue, not far from Good Hope Cemetery. There have been sightings of the ghostly apparition of a child walking there and in the graveyard. Those who live on the avenue report ghost children in their homes that they hear crying out to them. And last, but definitely not least, is the Bell Boyd Cottage. The cottage is one of the oldest buildings in Front Royal and is located behind the Fishback Hotel. It was reserved for the proprietor's family and exclusive guests. Belle Boyd, who the cottage is named for, was staying with her relatives who ran the hotel back during the Civil War. Union officers used the hotel as headquarters when they had control of Front Royal. When the Union occupied the hotel, the family moved to the little five-room cottage. And from there, Belle Boyd did her work. She was a Confederate spy, alerting General Jackson and his men to the Union plans. Throughout the war, she was imprisoned three times, reported 30 times, and arrested six times. After the war, she went on to marry three times and have five children. But perhaps Belle Boyd is still doing her work in the cottage. Footsteps have been heard, and voices have been recorded on digital recorders. Lights have turned on and off, and doors have opened and closed on their own. Not far from the area of Front Royal, in between Manassas Gap and Chester Gap, sits a small campsite big enough for about four tents, known as the Mosby Campsite. The name Mosby comes from the Civil War era and Colonel John Singleton Mosby, a Confederate cavalryman, also known as the Grey Ghost. Colonel Mosby had a rough start as a kid and was bullied quite a bit. He went on to college at the University of Virginia, where he was also picked on, and in retaliation, he shot his tormentor in the neck. I don't recommend shooting your tormentor in the neck, but if you're going to be a jerk and bully somebody, then suck it up and take what you get. Don't, don't shoot anybody in the neck. Mosby was arrested after this and sentenced to a year in jail and ultimately kicked out of college, though he still managed to become a lawyer. When the Civil War began, Mosby spoke out against secession, but he ended up joining the Virginia Volunteers. He fought in the Battle of First Manassas 
and eventually was placed in command of the 43rd Virginia Cavalry, named the Mosby Rangers. The Rangers wreaked havoc on the Union forces in Northern Virginia as they made lightning raids on the Union supply lines. He and his men refused to surrender after Lee's official surrender at Appomattox, and eventually they just disbanded. Mosby eventually became a Republican and was a campaign manager for Ulysses S. Grant. During all that time, there was a lot of death, though Mosby himself made it through the war and assassination attempts afterwards. In the area of the campsite, and I'm jumping around here, so sorry, not sorry, there was once a lean-to shelter that was built in 1939. Shockingly, the shelter was stolen in 1980. Yes, I said the shelter was stolen. It was dismantled and taken away, most likely for the chestnut logs used in its construction. There was never another shelter built, and now there's just the campsite. There was also a small settlement there in the area called Mosby because several of Colonel Mosby's men lived there. Now, in the camping area, hikers have reported having an uneasy feeling. Some have heard the phantom hooves of Mosby's cavalry. The sounds of horses are heard in the night as well. And by the sounds of horses, I'm not talking hoofbeats because I just talked about that. I'm talking about nickering, neighing, horse noises. If you've been around horses, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's even a story that late at night, the privy door was heard banging loudly, but in the morning when the lone camper went to use the privy, he found the door securely closed and latched. And then there's even a report that the apparition of Colonel Mosby himself was seen, though I'm not sure why he would appear in that particular location. Now I'm going to throw in a couple of locations that aren't right on the trail, but if you're taking some zero days, they're close enough to visit. Zero days, by the way, are days where you take some time to not hike the trail. You might get a hotel room for a couple of nights or stay with friends. Anyway, we're going to talk about the caverns in the area, specifically Luray and Skyline Caverns. I have visited both, and both are pretty cool, and I highly recommend them. I do not recommend going to Luray Caverns on Labor Day weekend. That is the busiest day of the year, I found out. And of course, we're discussing them now because they're haunted. Luray Caverns has two mysterious women that have appeared standing on a hill. They were well-dressed, and when the guide told them to wait there a moment and he'd be right there, they looked at him, pointed at him, and watched him approach. When he got to where they were standing, they were gone. At nearby Skyline Caverns, there's a story of a longtime employee named Carlos who passed away. After his death, his co-workers felt a hand lightly smack the top of their head, something Carlos was known to do. They've also seen Carlos standing at the top of the staircase to the cave. And then there was the disembodied voice that they heard saying, Good night, boys. The voices of two little kids have been heard as well. One time they said, get the ball, followed by giggling. The guides suspect that the girls either drowned in the cavern or were killed by a predatory animal. And that was based on a dream that one of them had. 
We're going to continue north to the area of Bluemont, Virginia. There's a location there called Mount Weather that is a not-so-secret underground government complex. It was named Mount Weather because the National Weather Service once had an observatory there. It also served as an artillery range during World War I. Then the Bureau of Mines began tunneling into the mountain, and the Eisenhower administration tunneled and made a doomsday bunker. It's said that the underground compound houses a hospital, office buildings, freshwater lake, a TV station, power station, water, pur water purification system, and living quarters for VIPs chosen to stay there to hold out in the event of a nuclear attack. Unfortunately, there are no downed UFOs being hidden there or alien autopsies being performed. I, at least I don't think so. Though, like Area 51, rumor says that cameras are confiscated if you're caught taking pictures, and sketch pads of hikers on the AT have been taken if caught sketching the area. Not haunted, no aliens, but certainly creepy strange. Around that same area, in 1974, there was a plane crash. TWA Flight 514, traveling from Indianapolis to Columbus, crashed into the west slope of Mount Weather on December 1, 1974. The crash killed all 85 passengers and seven crew members on board. There have been some strange phenomena reported in the area. People have felt as though they've been pushed by, invis by invisible forces, and phantom screams have been heard. Some people have seen glowing apparitions in the woods as well. And now we're going to finish up the state of Virginia with a couple of cryptid-type creatures, though both have just short descriptions. Both, interestingly enough, are considered harbingers of doom. The first is a black dog. Black dogs have long been considered harbingers of doom, or bad omens. This particular mysterious black dog appears and disappears out of thin air. And it's said that it's seen near cabins or homes where people are near death. And it's often been seen and heard howling in the night. Along with the black dog, there's another mysterious creature that's seen in the skies from the Shenandoah Valley all the way down to Georgia, and has even been seen in areas of Arkansas. It's called the Belled Buzzard, and it's exactly what it sounds like. People would hear the ringing of a bell and run outside to see a large buzzard fly by with a small bell attached to its neck. The buzzard, or turkey vulture, which is basically the exact same thing, always seems to show up around the time someone is about to die. Funny story, every time I hike along the Appalachian Trail for any length of time, there seems to be vultures close by. And I always joke that they smell the death on me because I feel like I'm going to die. So far, none of them have had bells, but I'm going to keep an eye out for them. Or an ear out, what, whatever it is. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Lurk. And that's going to do it for the Virginia section of the Appalachian Trail, the haunted trail, if you will. As always, you can find Lurk wherever you find your other favorite podcasts or at lurkpodcast.com, 
where we have episodes along with links to our social media accounts. Don't forget, Piney Run Park in Sykesville, Maryland, we have Sasquatch Saturday. I believe the time is from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. You can check out the Facebook page has a link to the event website. Keep your fingers crossed for sunny skies and come out and say hey. Maybe grab a t-shirt or the super awesome Bigfoot and Mothman squishy things. They're like stress balls. And I kid you not, Bigfoot and Mothman, they have butts. It's the best thing ever. They make a good throwing thing too. So if you work in an office and you've got people who really irritate you, you can either squeeze them to, you know, help with your stress or you can just throw them at them. Anyway, until next time, keep lurking. <laughs>